0: Welcome to Group Talk, four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network, focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Here to There with Carolyn Kiketa.
1: Hi, everyone, welcome to Here to There, where we explore the movement from here, our current reality, to there, the envisioned future that God has for us. Well, if you've been in conversation with any young people in your church, or perhaps you are a parent of young adults like I am, you may have heard the concerning news in the past couple years of Millennials and Gen Z leaving the church and walking away from their faith in greater rates than past generations. It seems to be growing number every year of nuns, N-O-N-E-S, and those who have left the faith. And so how... The Millennials are, and Gen Z are deconstructing their faith, how they're becoming more cause-driven, they're craving authenticity and transparency and leadership, and really wanting safe spaces to figure out who they are and what they believe. Um, it raises a lot of questions about how we serve them in our church. and um, What are the younger generations looking for from churches, from small groups, from their spiritual leaders? What are some unique markers of this generation, and how can we serve them through our groups ministry, our age-state specific groups, as well as multi-generational groups, and how do we create low hurdle entry points for young people to engage, and what what would it look like for us to build those relationships and lead in such a way that the younger generations of, of adults will engage more deeply with Jesus, have more meaningful conversations with one another, and be able to move forward in their faith with their church body. So this month, I recorded at the Small Group Network Lobby Conference, explored these issues with Saddleback's development pastor, Dave Alford, who has worked with younger generations in both ministry and higher education for decades to learn how we can better care for, better minister to, and better engage young adults in our families and our churches, on our staff and in our communities. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Well, Dave, thank you so much for being on Here to There, and I'm excited to have this conversation because I know you've been involved with um, younger generations for quite some time. So maybe start off by telling us a bit about your role here um, at Saddleback as a pastor of leadership development, and then maybe what you did before, a part of your story that kind of intersects with this topic.
0: That's great. Carol, great to be with you. Thanks for having <laughs> me on. Um, I've been at Saddleback about a dozen years and I've worked with small groups the last few years. But uh, to be honest, my real passion at Saddleback is that I've worked with our intern program mm-hmm. the entire time I've been at Saddleback. And so I've had a chance to work with younger generations, typically college students or just post-college students uh, in my time at Saddleback. And so that's, that's been great. Before that, I did a stint in Christian higher ed.
2: Oh, okay. And
0: so I uh, worked at a uh, local Christian university for a dozen years, mm-hmm. uh, both in administration and at uh, business school, did some teaching as well. And so I've, I've always, uh, I know we're talking about millennials and Gen Z here, <laughs> but I've always been interested, I think, in those formative years when I'm in college. And after college. And uh, so, interested to talk about that today.
1: Yeah. And you also have a personal interest because you have young adults. Tell us about that. Yeah. I've
0: got three, and uh, they're all in their 20s. -hmm. And uh, we have survived so far. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, no, they're great kids. And uh, so, yeah, it is a topic that's very interesting to me. I think my kids, uh, they sort of bridge the millennial Mm -hmm. uh, Gen Z divide. They've got the oldest is probably technically a millennial and the and the younger two are probably Gen yeah. Z.
1: So what's the year? I know it kind of switches depending on, you know, what report you read. Yeah. But generally if you were going to define um, the breakdown between millennial and Gen Z, where would you put it?
0: Well what I've what I have generally seen is about nineteen eighty one to ninety six are okay. uh are millennials and ninety six to about two thousand ten, maybe a little past that, are Gen Z.
1: Okay, so in working for now sounds like a couple decades with young people in those age ranges. What are some um, stereotypes? I know there's a lot of stereotypes out there, but what are some things that are true about them? <laughs> that is stereoty- that may be in the culture as a stereotype. Yeah, you know, for each of the for the Gen Z and then also for the millennials.
0: Yeah, and and I so I'm gonna I'm gonna go off uh, I'm gonna go off script here a little bit, and
1: we don't really have a script, so that's really fine. <laughs> That makes I it easier. To, um,
0: so I, I am not one who's given a lot to the stereotypes of these generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I see is a lot more commonality. And as I said, I've, I've been interested in sort of the college, post-college age for a long time, mostly because I think it's such a formative time. Yes. Where yes. People are, when it comes to faith, certainly, they're making their faith their own. They're figuring out what they want to do in life and those kinds of things. And I see a whole lot more in common with generations Mm. at that age than I, than I do differences. And so the, the interests uh, are are just that. I think that at that age, there's a whole lot more idealism Mm. and, and and millennials kind of have the, uh, the knock a little bit that uh, (laughs) they're, they're completely idealistic almost to the point of not being realistic. And I, I think that that, that was maybe uh, for an age, uh, a particular age that might have been true, but I certainly don't think it's true in the long run. Um, and uh, but I, I think that they're idealistic, they're cause oriented. Yes. And and I I think that's great. I love that aspect. Uh, but as I said, I think that's not necessarily true just for age generation. Right. I think it's true for that kind of age range.
1: What would be the negative side of that? Yes, I, the idealism, the cost-driven, passion, um, caring about a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. What's potentially the flip side of that that may be unique to this generation? You know,
0: I think the, the flip side, at least the stereotype, mm-hmm. is thats is that they'll walk away from something if mm-hmm. it's not meaningful to them. Right. Or they will walk away if if they are not allowed to really have a say, a substantive say in what's yes. going on. And, uh, you know, I think that's that's part of, uh, and particularly for millennials, uh, I think that they at, at times have had the option to do that. Mm. And, and so I think we're talking about more pri- privileged millennials. Yes, that's true. That. Right. But I think, you know, they have been able to do that. But that really has not been my experience. Mm. And, in fact, um, you know, one of my loves is leadership. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that uh, these generations – Actually, if they are led well, mm. uh, that uh, that they actually are are they are put a lot of time and effort and cause and commitment into things. Mm. That's been more my experience rather than the kind of a negative
1: stereotype. Yeah, okay, so I, I totally wanna to explore the what does it look like to be led well? So we'll, we'll get to that. I, I just wanna um, delve a little more into, okay, so you think that um, kind of in culture that we're saying this generation is so different because um, technology, I think that's typically the thing that gets blamed for the instant culture, that they want everything. They want to be CEO now. Mm-hmm. They don't want to um, do the grunt work and build up to it, like maybe our generation Gen X or Boomer certainly had to do. Um, and so, if you have a Millennial or a Gen Z on your staff, um, and you work with you know these interns and whatever, th- is there an uh, is there an expectation that's different about how they're going to move through uh, a church organization?
0: I, I think there probably is. I think there's an expectation that they are going to, as I said, have more substance to say, be involved more in things. But, but I frankly think that's a good thing. Uh, mm. and, and I think that uh, it, it becomes incumbent then on leaders yes, actually true. to take advantage of that. Right. And rather than uh, you know trying to get them to do what you want them to do, instead the, the whole idea of vision Mm -hmm. Where are you going? What is your cause? What is it you're trying to accomplish? Um, That if you can give that kind of picture, that's the kind of thing that lights people up.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. A few years ago, uh, I hired uh, onto our staff uh, a guy who would have been a millennial. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was a tech guy. And I sat down with him. First conversation I'd had with him, I was hiring for a technical position, too. He was a computer guy, Mm -hmm. developer. And so I sat down and and I started off by saying, "Here is the vision of what we are trying to accomplish." I described the outcome destination that we wanted to, and I could see his eyes light up,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, and I knew he was the right guy for the job. And he ended up joining our team and a huge contribution. But that's the kind of thing I'm I'm talking about, rather than talking about that we did talk about his technical ability for the right. job. What was much more important to me is, is this a cause that he could align with? And if he could, then he could bring those gifts to the cause. And so I think that's kind of what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, that's great. Connect them to what they are passionate about. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the faith journey for millennials, and especially for Gen Z, there's been a lot written recently, um, again, because it's, it's not a new conversation, right? Deconstructing their faith is not a new conversation. We all did it yeah. at some time, probably in our 20s, yeah. but it's getting a lot of oxygen these days um, because of a lot of the failures in the church or the perceived pulsation of the church. I mean, a lot's happened in the last two years with the pandemic that's made um Younger people, especially disillusioned, the racial issues, um, just there's so many things, right? And so do you think, do you see a lot of the deconstructing process look different than maybe previous generations?
0: That's a great question, and I wish I had a, had a good answer for it. I th- I I think generally what we're seeing, and I think the reason deconstruction is happening is is because um, I, th- I think we all have to go through deconstruction at some point. I know that's... Yes. Uh, sort of a popular term, but we have to go through a process where we make our faith our own, particularly if you're growing up in church. Yes. You grew up in church, your parents' faith is your faith, and you accept it up to a point. But at some point, there comes a moment where you have to um, make that faith your own. And if, if you don't, there's not much faith there. I think the observation that I get, and this is both in Christian higher ed and in the church, is that unfortunately in a lot of church families, a lot of Christian mm-hmm. families, that somehow the deconstruction is being delayed. In other words, oh, it's okay. not happening uh, when they're when they're a teenager. It's happening instead later on. And so we're seeing this departure uh, from the faith as a result of that. I've seen that in a lot of cases. I don't have data to back it. Right, right. up. Right, right. No, yeah. But that is, is purely an observation. Um, what I had, why do you think that is? uh I think that's got to be a combination of of parenting and mm. and perhaps what we're doing in the church as well. My own experience, I don't know what yours was, <laughs> but my own experience is that uh, with all three of my kids, there was a, a moment and I can almost remember it. it was mm. so important. It was a, you know one of those things that stood out, a moment where they came to me, and had some question about faith right and it was a, it was a, a doubting question dad how, did, how, how does this work how mm-hmm. does that work and in all three cases i think maybe with some help from the holy spirit <laughs> i think it was the wise thing to do the first thing i said to them is, was you can always question your faith yes because if your faith is not strong enough to be questioned it's not a faith worth having yeah and I like to think that that opened the door to those kinds of conversations with my kids. And so we went through that. And mm. thankfully, uh, and, and again, thank God, our kids went through that fairly smoothly. They never walked away from their faith mm-hmm. or anything like that. But they have lots of friends who do. Oh, yes. So I've had a yes. lot of conversations with them about it. And I think what what they have typically said to me is they is they've talked about how the the their friends didn't have a chance to do that, mm. or their if they had a question about faith, it was kind of pushed down rather than being encouraged to ask that question. So I think that's one again. Don't have data to back it mm. up. It's purely observation. It's anecdotal. But I think encouraging when those moments arise, encouraging those moments for those kinds of deep conversations. Right. We need to do that, and we need to be ready to
1: do it. Yeah, that is so wise. I think the nugget for parents, if you're listening and you have um, teenagers or young adults that that are asking these hard questions, I think our impulse as um, Christian parents is to be alarmed, concerned, disappointed, judge. I mean, there's just a whole range of emotions, right? Yeah. Um, I tend to have a very expressive face, so I have to when when I'm facing one of these kinds of conversations with my daughters. I have to mentally tell myself, okay, don't make an expression. Don't look disapproved. Don't look shocked. Just uh-huh. just try to keep a poker face because um, I want to invite the conversation. I would rather have the conversation, even though it may not be, um, you know, a comfortable one, or it may not be what I want. I would much prefer to just keep them in their little, little bubble, in their Christian bubble and continue along, but that's not the world in which they live and this is not who they are becoming. Yeah. So I think that, the call to, you know, and the wisdom you're offering with, invite the conversation, even if it's hard, mm-hmm. so that you get the opportunity to walk with them through it.
0: Yeah. Well, and the, and the truth is, their, their faith is is being questioned. And all the time. Every yeah. day. Yeah. And uh, our, our kids went to public school. I mean, mm-hmm. not all kids too. Do, yeah. But the public school. And so they, they always felt like they were the minority. Oh, yes, for school. sure. When it came to faith. Yeah. And so to, to not be willing to have the kind of conversation or let them ask the questions they wanted to ask, I think it would have been a big mistake. So
1: Yeah, and actually the public school thing we, um, is so interesting because when my kids were and they went through all through public school, I think part of our desire as parents was to equip them for the world at large mm-hmm. and while they were still home. Mm-hmm. So because they were mingling with Kids who were not of faith, most most of their friends were not on their teams, on their yeah. classes, all of their friend circles. That um, it they had to test out a lot of these theories first. Yeah. So by the time they went to college in secular universities, um, they were able to respond to some of that, at least at some level, and then kind of deconstruct from the next level. Mm-hmm. But whereas I think what I've observed with you know, and obviously this is a, such a gross generalization, um, is that if you don't get that testing earlier. Um, and then it's going to come at some point, like you said, you're going to have to make exactly. your faith your own at some point. Um, so when will that be? And for some, when they tell their faith stories, it's like after they had kids, then like they had the whole deconstruction thing. Happened. I'm like, okay, let's, let's try to have it a little bit earlier.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, And I think it's the healthy thing. And, and as you said, they're going to be challenged. So they, they need to be prepared for
1: it. And they may not end up in a place that you agree with. And I think that's the scary part. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you navigate that, Dave, if they end up in a place, at least for a season?
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't I don't have advice for that. <laughs> been, as I said, we've been very fortunate. Uh, our kids are are, you know, very strong in their faith, their their doctrinal positions. Um, and and I think their position, particularly with the Bible, they're kind of aligned with ours. But it, it happened. I'd like to think, not because we told them that's the way it is, mm-hmm. but because they went through the questioning themselves and came to the same conclusions that, yeah. that Molly and I did.
1: Yeah, so when you have um, the interns as part of your program, are, do they feel free to ask questions because they're now employed at the church? Yeah. Um, or is there more of a hesitation because they're looking you – know, these are interns that are interested in ministry jobs? Is that how – tell us a little bit about the program.
0: Yeah, we uh, we have about uh, – well, eighty or ninety interns a year wow, out okay. back, and so it's it's a pretty robust program. Yeah. It's something we put a lot of time and effort into. We, because of the size of our church, we're fortunate to be able to have both ministry kinds of activities. Mm-hmm. It's all ministry, obviously, but traditional ministry kinds of activities, as well as things that uh, you know might not be so direct.
1: The more administrative, yeah, yeah.
0: exactly, HR or mm-hmm. things like that. And so we, we like to recruit interns into all of those areas and give people a chance. Our, our goal is that we're trying to develop leaders mm. for wherever they end up. If they mm. end up in the church, fantastic. If they end up in a business okay. or education or wherever we want to have Christian leaders uh, in those places. And so that's what we are, are trying to accomplish. Um, one of the things that we do in terms of an onboarding process, and this is true both for our staff uh, and for our interns, is one of the steps that we have them go through is what we call a theological interview. Oh, nice. Which is, sounds pretty ominous.
1: And it <laughs> have is that pass. with you, Dave, or is that with other we, we people? We have a number
0: of people who, who do, do them, it. Okay. I, I do them certainly as well. The idea is we do want to talk to them about theology, mm-hmm. but it's actually a much broader conversation where we have them connect with one of our pastors mm-hmm. on staff, and and we talk through the culture of Saddleback but we also get pretty deep into their own individual story, mm-hmm. uh, what they're going through, and actually, one of the last questions that we ask uh, in the interview, and it's they're usually forty-five minutes an hour mm-hmm. long. One of the last questions we ask is, "Is there anything that you are struggling with
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: that uh, that you'd like to share with us?" And many times, they they will have already shared mm-hmm. something, but. We, we can hear all kinds of things at that point. And I'll usually preface it when I ask that question by saying, this is not going to be a disqualified question. In other words, if you're oh, struggling with some yeah. sinful habit, for right, instance, right. don't be afraid to share that. Uh, and they often will. And, and, and we don't disqualify right. them unless we think it would be better for right. them to right. delay it. But the reason we ask that question is both because we want to create an open mm-hmm. environment where it's okay to share what you're thinking, what's right. going on, and at the same time to create uh, the kind of support system around them while they are interning, that we can help them with that whatever That makes sense. It. So that's, that is a, I, I would say that is an, an element of saddleback culture, uh, which I would attribute to Witten <laughs> K. Warren. They, they are very good about creating open environments. And so we try to do that with interns to make it okay to talk about what, what might not be okay in some settings.
1: Yeah. I love that. That, that, I don't know how many churches would ask that question, um, but that's a really excellent one to ask in a safe environment, mm-hmm. right? Um, in our leadership application for Small Groups Ministry, we do ask the last question is, is there anything about your life or your pattern of living that um, you want to share? Mm-hmm. And we've had all kinds of interesting things come up from that. Um, but when you ask that question, what are give us a sense of what type of things are these young people bringing up?
0: All kinds of things, uh, and, and some of it is things you wouldn't be surprised at. It's not unusual for for guys to say that they had no. with
1: pornography. That's like, reasons. what, 80% or something? Yeah. It's some incredibly high In number.
0: fact, I always feel good when they say that because I, 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 I this is a huge generalization. Sometimes I feel that they don't say that to us. They're not actually telling us the truth. Because yeah, of statistics, so, yeah, yeah. I'd much rather hear that, and then mm. and we'll talk about it. Anxiety is
1: a yes. huge one. We've been hearing that a ton in the last two years. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and uh, that can come up with uh, with both sides. Right? Yeah. those are the two that rise. The big ones. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Wow. Okay. So. Shift this a little bit. So, what do you think the younger generation is looking for in a church? We've been hearing statistics about how they're leaving in droves. Mm-hmm. The nuns, um, people who don't affiliate, have increased. Uh, COVID has made everything worse mm-hmm. on on that front. And not choosing church. Um, there's, you know, we've said earlier to a lot of the missteps the church has made. So, what do you think they're looking for in a church? Yeah.
0: And and again, I'm going to state this just for the audience that I am not speaking from data here. I'm really speaking from observation. Yes. But uh, there are there are a couple of things that seem to always rise to the surface in my conversations with this age group. At the top of the list is authenticity. Mm. Uh, is a church authentic? And uh, you know, is, is it, can you be who you are at the church? Are the leaders of the church being who they really are, and so I, that that seems to be a huge one. I don't think authenticity is necessarily um, uh, unique
1: yeah, to this yeah. generation because we we like it. Yeah. We would like to see that in our leaders. Everybody likes
0: authenticity, but but this these generations actually articulate it. And so I think that's a big
1: one. How do they articulate what it would look like, say, in a leader, in a spiritual leader? What does authenticity to them look like? Look like Does it look like sharing, you know, all of your stuff um, and your weaknesses, sins, whatever, from the platform? Does it look like they actually um, live out, you know, kind of what we, our old definition was you live out what you're preaching, right? Yeah. But how, how are they assessing it?
0: I, I think it is primarily transparency Mm -hmm. and and i i would say it's it's not appropriate for leaders to be a hundred percent transparent
1: yes it would not
0: but i think that there is a level of transparency that that they are looking for uh i think what we found is that that's one of the the attractive things to saddleback church Mm -hmm. um we have uh you know, one of our largest ministries is Celebrate Recovery. Right, right. And so it is a, uh, it's, it's a recovery ministry,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it is based on transparency and showing right. who you are right. and what you are and what you're going through. And I suppose at Saddleback, we have thousands of people who have, who have been through Celebrate Recovery. And so it permeates the culture mm. of our church. And I think it's one of the things that's attractive. At the same time, Rick uh, Rick is quite transparent mm-hmm. in his preaching, sharing struggles that mm. that uh, he's gone through or that their family is going through in an appropriate way. Yeah, and I think that's that is an attractive thing to young people to this generation in particular. I think that's yeah. what we're talking about with authenticity.
1: Yeah, and certainly in a small group, as a, for a small group leader, I think they they're looking for places where they can be, as you said, you know, um, be themselves Mm -hmm. and feel like other people are not faking it. Mm -hmm. The faking it is like the big sin for the younger. And we don't, not that older generations want fakers either, but... I think that it's different, right? I, I don't know how, quite how to articulate the difference.
0: Well, and I, I think what we all figure out pretty quickly is whether it's safe to be authentic mm, or not. Yes, and yes. so it really is the environment of safety. I think, like you said, we'd all love authenticity, but I think unless we feel safe, yeah, we're pretty we're hide. we can actually try it. Yeah,
1: right. Okay. So you said there were a few things. So authenticity was one that they're looking for. What else? I think
0: the, the other big one to me is cause. Mm. And uh, what is the cause? In other words, what are you here to do? You know, justice is, is big yes. with these generations, obviously. So it's more than just uh, saving the world spiritually, although we know that mm. that is the root cause that right. there is. But it's how, how is that being lived out? How is that being played out? How is that being applied mm. to other areas of, of need? And is that articulated well? Mm. Um, it's one thing to talk about it. But do you have a vision for it? Is there something that you're actually working toward? And are the the programs, the activities, whatever of your church, do they really align with that vision or not? When they do, I think that's what's attractive uh, to to this, I think it's attractive to all generations, but, but particularly particular. attractive to these generations.
1: Yeah, so just building a local church in and of itself, or the spiritual goal of discipleship, is a little nebulous. Mm-hmm. I, I I agree with you. I think they want something they can sink their teeth into mm-hmm. and feel like feel proud of their church for doing certain things um, that that help the poor or the environment or racial justice or whatever their the cause that's on their heart. Is when it comes to small groups, it's a little harder for us to give them a cause because the cause is relationship and community. Mm -hmm. Um, So, any tips on how to make that more of a causal thing that would be attractive?
0: Well, and this is where you know, in in the Saddleback model, small (laughs)
1: groups,
0: we believe in in fellowship and discipleship. Those are the core parts of a small group. We also see mission as being an important
1: part. It's one of the five purposes. (laughs) Five
0: purposes, exactly. And so we like our groups to engage with, with mission at a global, a local, and even a personal level. And so even there, now it, it, it needs to come, I think. With, we, we have to do a lot of encouraging for that mm-hmm. to happen. But even there, that can come through a small group, and I think it's attractive uh, when you do it.
1: Yeah, and I think inviting them. Um, I had a conversation with a small group leader that has a multi generational group, which is an interesting one, too. So let's talk about that, actually, that I for a second. And... Um, he was having a struggle trying to figure out how to engage the, um, the younger people in the group. And I was like, give them something to do, mm-hmm. like help them to feel like they belong and they're needed. Yeah. Um, and he's like, well, I, I didn't want to put a burden on them. I'm like, no, I think that actually makes them feel participatory and that makes them, and whatever cause they are interested in, see how you can, your group can kind of come alongside that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've actually seen this, and we're not alone, but we've actually seen this uh, in, in terms of an evangelistic effort as well. Oh, yeah. we, we did, during COVID, like a lot of churches, we, we did a huge feeding program. It was, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, I suppose right. we served hundreds of thousands of people uh, during those, those big months of COVID. And what we found is we actually had people who wanted to come and help mm-hmm. with food service who, who had not yet crossed the line for Jesus.
1: Oh, that's great! And as a
0: result of helping people, they came to faith.
1: Being in that community, yeah, yeah.
0: And so the, the cause actually is what attracted them mm-hmm. to faith. And I, I think that's not an unusual journey these days.
1: Yeah. So, I okay. So there's also the stereotype, and a lot of churches also do this because it makes sense um, that young people just want to be with young people. Mm. Um, so we do a lot of uh, segmenting of generations, right? So we have a lot of life and stage um, groups and there's nothing wrong with those. Mm -hmm. Um, we have them in both your church and mine, Mm -hmm. we have marriage groups, we have, you know, all of those. And there's, there's a need for that. But, um, I started to really appreciate more, um, the intergenerational groups, they are harder, but can you speak to like the value or do you guys see that as um, something that young people value? Surprisingly, the old people, older people, sorry, older people like ourselves um, <laughs> are usually feel insecure about it. They're like, I don't think young people want to be in our group. But then we go to the young people and they're like, I really would love to be around some older Christians who've been with Jesus for a while or have been married. I don't really know how to do the relationship thing. And they seem to want it. And it's just, it's an interesting dynamic we're starting to see. And we're having more partnerships between our senior adults ministry and our young adults ministry to try to see what this is about. Yeah. Uh, and so that's a newer finding for us. Have you noticed uh, a desire for that
0: yeah and i'm not sure that we've cracked the code on it either um but i i, I would say I mean, i'd use the term mentoring what mm. we hear a lot from younger people is a desire for mentoring and it might be in mm. the area of of marriage or parenting or career yeah or, you know, a lot of different things and uh so we you know we have tried probably like you we've tried some different things <laughs> The place actually where I, I saw the most success for it was was not uh, not during my time at Saddleback. It was when I was I was dean of a business school and uh, and we did a mentoring program and the mm. way that we did it rather than, than trying to you know pair a mentor with a mentee,
1: yeah, that that matchmaking has we've tried that so many different ways. and It's never really yeah, worked well. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: really really hard. But we just got a bunch of mentors in a room and a bunch of students and we put some pizza on the table and let them talk. Mm. And we usually would have a topic, so there, there would be some topic that they would uh, discuss. Some one of the mentors would give a presentation for a few minutes, but uh, but we found tremendous success there. Mm. In fact, they, so these conversations would happen around the tables. They'd talk, talk with different people, but that then led to to relationships outside of those meetings, where right. uh, the students would say, "Hey, you know, could I meet with you?" And so we saw that, and something. I don't know that we've tried that at Saddleback. Maybe we have, but I think that right. that is a, a an approach that might work as well. But I would agree with you that there is this desire on the part of younger people to to take advantage of people who have you know kind of gone the path before and can give them some practical
1: wisdom on how to handle things. Yeah, or they just want to put their names on LinkedIn. We're not quite sure. what What is it they're really asking for here? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know, but I, I think mentoring looks different now, too. Before it used to be, you know, let me impart my wisdom to you. But back to authenticity and transparency. Now it seems like mentoring, successful mentoring, is more about creating that safe space mm-hmm. where they can wrestle with things and not and you hand out. Wisdom in little nuggets. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think they they seem to be more reluctant to take anything, you know, whole cloth. Just I, maybe because I'm Asian American, I, I tended to respect the elders a little more. It's part of my culture, um, but I'm not seeing that as a natural default.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would agree. I, I, that's why I, th- I think it gets wrapped up in relationship. Mm-hmm. And and if there is a relationship there, it's not a programmed kind of mentoring. It's much more relational and as as you do a little bit of life together then to those see. opportunities as you said to drop the nuggets uh, comes along
1: kind of like parenting yeah
0: very, <laughs> true. yeah very true
1: except you're not as stressed out by what what <laughs> nugget is coming going to drop here um i know that saddleback does a huge um, job of you know resourcing other churches on so many things and i think uh, when so you've been part of, and you speak often as Albeck-related events. So when you look at other churches and trying to crack this nut about younger people, and there's a lot of hand-wringing about all the young people they are walking away and all of that. And and I do think your um, comment earlier about it's not that new, like mm-hmm. we don't have to be scared. It's different, social media you know, online, all of that has changed the, the landscape a bit. But ultimately, these things are not that different. So when you look at other churches that are struggling with incorporating young people and they're not going to start an internship leadership development program. What what are some things they could be doing to not just attract, but to engage in a meaningful discipleship way, um, the younger generation and be more winsome there?
0: Well, I, I think the, the big one is to think through. What are the hoops that somebody oh, has to jump through
1: to do what?
0: To to have a meaningful uh, participation in your church?
1: Okay, so like like small groups ministry. If they were going to be a leader,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. What hoops? That, that okay. Would, yeah. Are, in other words, are we making it difficult for the younger generation? Okay. I, I think what we often do, and this may not have to do just with age, but we do it with a lot of things that we want to have people prove themselves before we actually yes. give them something meaningful to do. Yes. And uh, I, I think that particularly with this generation, they're not willing to jump through hoops.
1: That's very much more, I think, the boomer, um, the boomer generation. Yeah. That was more of that kind of you put your boots to the ground and then you prove yourself and then you get the promotion kind of thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think looking for ways mm. to make it easy for them to be involved this again this is a, this is kind of a characteristic right. of saddleback we we always Easy entry points involved. yeah exactly low hurdle and and then bring them along but get them in and and give them that and so that's what i would do and i you know i mean it's like any generation but this generation has a ton to offer and uh and so i think if you can take advantage of that plug into it find ways to lower the bar and get them involved. I, I think you'll see great results.
1: What do you think the obstacles are? Like, why aren't churches um, doing more of this kind of thing? And when you look, I was just having a conversation earlier today with um, someone in a church and he, and I said, what would you want to ask Dave <laughs> <laughs> on this topic? And he said, you know, why haven't our church's style of worship and the nuts and bolts of how we do church, um, Changed like it, and he's in his probably um, late twenties. Okay,
2: um,
1: and so he's like, it seems like we talk about reaching younger generation, but and we're going to hand it off to them or us in his my case, but it hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so why is it change so slow, and why hasn't it changed, and what's going on with church? And I said, okay, Dave, I will ask him this question.
0: And <laughs> well, I'll give you my opinion. I, I think it's fear. Mm. Um, I think that you know, there's a sense that. And, and, and it's a good thing. We have a sense of stewardship
2: mm-hmm. that
0: we are, you know, leading God's church. That's a big deal. And so shouldn't we be careful about how we uh, hand, hand off. off leadership? And I think, yeah, there's some truth to that. Uh, I don't think we should be completely foolish about it. But I, but I think we're so afraid of that sometimes that we make it uh, very difficult for younger yeah. generations to step up and and get involved and be in leadership, and so that's I think the question comes down to is is maybe flipping it a little bit and and saying as I said before, what hoops are we making people jump through, mm-hmm. and are those hoops really necessary? Um, you know, Carolyn, that we <laughs> we uh, for a long time have let. Anybody start a small group, for instance? Yes, you're hoopless. <laughs> now, and that's not as bad as it sounds, <laughs> right? Because because you can start a small group with your own friends, right? Right. and I can put people in your group. But if you want to get a group of friends together and have a small group, yes. no questions asked, we'll let you do it. And then we come along and we surround them and we bring them right. along. And I I think that's a model. I think that's what I think that's the Jesus, Jesus model. model. <laughs> Frankly, I mean, he took a bunch of disciples who had no reason to be religious leaders, spiritual leaders. And he brought them along. They were willing to do it. And so I think we really need to ask ourselves those hard mm-hmm. questions. Are we putting hoops in place that really don't need to be there?
1: Yeah. And I think you're right. The fear factor, maybe letting go of control, and maybe even um, the messiness.
0: Yeah. Well, there, there is that too.
1: Yeah. Right. Because if you can keep some hoops in place, the mess is more contained. Um, so, yeah. Talk to us about that in terms of leadership. Yeah. And I know you do a lot of speaking and, and writing and such around leadership. Like, so leading this generation, yeah. how would you advise them differently? What kind of leader do we need to be?
0: Well, we, we uh, I, I've, I've used the term vision here several times, mm-hmm. I think, in this conversation already. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll add to that the term values. Mm-hmm. I think we have to have values-oriented leadership. Um, in fact, we were talking about this a bit last night, (laughs) but, but I, I think, uh, the knee jerk for leaders is, is to try and define as carefully as possible what we want people to do. Mm -hmm. And what we, what we do is we, we end up, even when we get people involved and they're willing to get involved, oftentimes what we do is we give them tasks. Yes. People don't want tasks. People want responsibilities. Uh, they don't want to do
1: know. they do they really
0: they really do
1: they act like they don't though
0: <laughs> we aren't very good always at giving responsibilities mm-hmm. um and and they, they they want to know uh outcomes rather than the how-tos now there there's insecurities with people so they want to know a certain amount of that
2: mm-hmm.
0: but if you lead with a vision, where is it that we are going? Mm-hmm. You give them some values that you want them to operate by and and you give them some responsibilities instead of tasks. If they want more, they'll ask you for it. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to lead with that. And what you what you, what tends to happen, at least this is my experience, when you do it that way, you attract leaders mm-hmm. then to be part of something like that's that. True. And so that's that's what I would that's what I would say is vision is critical. Why are you doing what you're doing? And, and vision is, is kind of a misunderstood word. I won't go into a whole thing on it here, but vision should always be about solving some human problem. In other words, vision is more than destination. Vision is the solution to a problem that people care about. Hmm. And, and, uh, when you offer a solution to a problem that people care about, they want to be part of that. That's true. And so those are some of the keys, I think, uh, not just leading this generation, as I said, I think that's universal, but this, these generations we're talking about, it's really important to them.
1: Yeah. So let's apply those. Um, so in, for small groups, um, because this is our audience. So walk us through Dave, like, okay, if you were going to recruit a, or invite a, um, young person to become a small group leader, mm-hmm. um, So, walk us through the vision, values, and peace. What kind of conversations and questions would you be asking this person to figure out if they should be onboarding?
0: Mm -hmm. And and, and what we would appeal to is uh, a a couple of things. One is um, uh, the the appeal to fellowship. In other words,
1: well, this is the loneliest generation ever. So, yeah, that would be a good target for solving the problem—the human problem—that you know is is so evident.
0: Yeah, exactly. So you're 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 linking them together. But the way that we would do it is uh, is to say, get your friends together, get people that you know. In other words, bring purpose to your friendships.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And when uh, we would give them a vision for that, typically we are we are using curriculum at least as an entry right, point. Right. Right uh something that is going to appeal to them a big life question so get your friends together and have a conversation about that that's about as much vision as we would give them okay but we would say that's really what we'll we'll give you the tools that you need to do that uh and 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 you get going on that.
1: I love how practical and simple that is. Um you know because I know for some it would be the vision would be you know Matthew 28 like go and make disciples and that's the vision and it just it's hard to make that bite-sized and appealing to someone who's stepping into leadership for the first time so yeah. i love how pragmatic and and doable that vision is okay so continue to walk us through that model so in the values that you would put in to yeah. place for that person
0: yeah and, and 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 so then we would give them actually we'd go very light on values but oh, we, would, okay. we would we would say because what we would give them is is something to have a conversation around mm-hmm. But included in that, and, uh, you know, I think it's really important, small groups, is that uh, whatever you say in your group is going to stay in your group. Right, right. And so this, you're creating a safe place for you and your friends to have a conversation around this topic.
1: So it'd be something like the covenants that we use in a lot of small group churches. They use that, um, which has the confidentiality, which has, you know, we're going to knock gossip. We're going to, you know, uh, lift each other in prayer. I mean, there's a a handful of those kinds of of values. So you kind of pick those. Okay.
0: And then then from there we would really take them on the journey and, and that's where we would surround them with other training resources, Mm. coaching and that kind of thing. But the journey that we want to take them on is, hey, this is great. You found something meaningful in a group, assuming that that's what happened. Um, let, us, let us help you bring a little more purpose to your group then. And then we would introduce some discipleship uh, basics, you know, to, okay. th- to think about how can they help each other grow in their faith and have conversations around that. And then ultimately the outcome that we wanted, we'd want to take them to is, how can we help you have a really healthy group? Mm. And for us, that's balancing the five purposes and bringing those things into place. So we take them through a journey. Ultimately, the journey is, it's not just a a small group leader and a bunch of Mm -hmm. people, but it's a group of people who are committed to leading together to have a healthy small group. And so that's, we would start, it's it's interesting you said you made the vision simple and I did that purposely in Mm -hmm. the beginning. The vision is actually much larger. But you give them enough of the vision right. is where they are right then, and then and then you you uh, you actually explain more of the vision, give them more tools to reach it as they go on this trip. Which is
1: the Jesus model as well. He yep. didn't give them everything, you know. He just said follow exactly. me, he, and then they hung out for three years before they got the outcome.
2: Exactly,
1: you know, in it. So I think. That just seems like a really great, even though there are some hoops per se, or there's the values matter. It's not like, you know, you're throwing all that out out the window, but to give clarity, I think that clarity is kind and it helps people know what they're stepping in for.
0: And and you you are giving them something presumably that's attractive to them. Mm. So you're just telling them, here's how you can have something that that you're actually looking for. And so rather than it being, here's some things you have to do if you want to have a small group. Right. And we'll help you have a small group and here's how to do it.
1: And we're not saying, um, here's what you should want, Yeah. which the top-down model seems to no longer be applicable. <laughs> yeah,
0: we can help them with that as they go through the journey. We can, we can kind of give them, you know, it's like laying a trail of breadcrumbs here a little bit, but we're bringing them along through the process.
1: It takes a lot of patience, Dave. It does. Is yeah. that be another barrier for why we're not doing this? Great, because it's it, that—that's a relational process that takes a lot more patience. Yeah. Well, than handing over a program.
0: And Jesus lived with. Oh, we're back with back with
1: Jesus. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: But it, but I think it really is the model. Rick Rick Warren likes to say, and I I, I say it a lot because I think it's so smart. He says you can structure for growth or you can structure mm. for control. And I'm a whole lot more comfortable with control, but I've learned that. Yeah. You mentioned messiness earlier. This kind of low hurdle process really pays off in the long run. And, uh, and you're able to affect a lot more people that way.
1: Yeah, and this generation won't respond to the other model anyway. Exactly. So it's kind of game over anyway. Yeah. So we might as well adapt or die. This okay. is how it, how, how it rolls. So I think it we, we would be us to figure out um, how to make it more invitational Um, And to lower the hurdle. So uh, last question, we're talking about uh, outcomes. So in your work on the internship program, now that you've been doing it for a dozen years, what's been the outcome that's been um, exciting for you to see? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to ask you to break down what percentage of people still love Jesus, still love Saddleback, (laughs) but just in general, like what, how has that been um, in the outcome? Has it been what you've looked for?
0: Yeah, it really has. Uh, and it, it has been fun to watch, especially over that that period of time. Going back, our, our goal with the intern program is to develop Christian leaders mm-hmm. who who can lead in any environment. Mm-hmm. And so over a dozen years, we've got, uh, I think we, we have well over a thousand. Interns. Wow. We can't track all of them. We have a thousand intern alumni, if you will. Uh. Um one of the one of my favorite this is a statistics. One of my favorite statistics is that about uh, I think it's about seventy of our staff at Saddleback are former interns.
1: Wow, that's amazing.
0: Including one of our elders is a former intern. Well, that's so now. cool. And so we we it's benefited our church. We've seen mm-hmm. it there, but we you know, hear the stories from people who are having an impact, you know, in other places, other oh, churches, yes. businesses, education, government, yeah. wherever. And so it's it's just fun to watch it.
1: Oh, that's really cool. All right. Well, any last thing you'd like to share um, before you go? Um,
0: I think, uh, number one, thanks for letting me <laughs> be out here with you. But it's, uh, you know, I, I think this is an extremely challenging time for the yeah. church, no doubt. Yeah. But I also think it's a time of huge opportunity. And we've been talking about these younger generations. I think that they are key to to us taking advantage of the opportunity that God God is giving us right now.
1: Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much, Dave, for being with us, sharing your wisdom, and continuing to equip young people um, out into the world to be Christian leaders because we need them. So thank you for your work. Thanks for having me, (laughs) Carolyn. All right. Well, you can connect with Dave um, by his email. What is your email?
0: It's dalford, D-A-L-F-O-R-D, at saddleback.com.
1: Yes. Thank you for being available. If you have any questions to follow up with with Dave, I know he's a very gracious and for the small group network. I don't know if it's Steve Lee makes you do this or not, but it's, (laughs) it's been so great to have you um, as a resource for the network Uh, and he thinks he speaks of you so highly so i think he's just basically made this part of your (laughs) part of your bucket on equipping the church this is small group network is part of it so um feel free to reach out to dave and um again thank you all for listening to here to there and we'll see you next time
0: thank you for listening to group talk we invite you to subscribe to our podcast through itunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically